All right, everyone, we need to be more comfortable with women having their period because it's a creative hey. and deeply transformative process, and we need to be able to say menstruation like nothing's wrong with it. Menstruation. Men menstruation. 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 <laughs> you're, you're saying it like you're celebrating. I'm sorry, yeah. but I guess I'm that's just, a good way to say I'm it. I'm just so excited to hear all of you guys say that word. Menstruation. <laughs> oh. Menstruation. Okay. We need to put the men back in menstruation. That's what I'm saying. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Get out of here, Joe Rogan. All right. Uh, that's right, everyone. Today, we're going to review the Academy Award-nominated 2016 film, 20th Century Woman, starring Annette Bening and Lucas Jade Zuman. But first, this is A24 on the Rocks, a film review podcast where we drink and review every A24 film in chronological order of distribution. And I'm your unreliable narrator and host for tonight, Eric Kiska. And I'm drinking a classic Pabst Blue Ribbon, a throwback to simpler times for beer. Up next, we have the Greta Gerwig to my Noam Baumbach, my wife, Kelly. Oh my goodness, is that quite the introduction that I hope to live up to possibly one day, <laughs> maybe. Oh, I'm all flustered. Hello, my name is Kelly, and I'm also drinking a PBR because Eric and I live in the same house, and we're really frugal. After me comes another one of our hosts. <laughs> Good evening, world. This is Kevin K. Kahn-Kanachek. And tonight, uh, I'm not going to break up the tradition too much here. I'm drinking some more whiskey. That's right. Uh, I'm going to go with a Michter's Single Barrel Straight Kentucky Rye Whiskey. Why? Because I can. And it's delicious. And I don't need to explain myself because I am an adult. Next we have... Hey, it's Cole William Willa Gibson, resident Canadian. Tonight I'm drinking um, a classic White Claw Seltzer Tangerine Edition. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So, as previously mentioned, we are viewing the film 20th Century Woman Tonight. It was written and directed by Mike Mills and had its premiere at the New York Film Festival on October 8th, 2016. It was then distributed by A24 on December 28th, 2016, making it the last film distributed by A24 in 2016, meaning tonight marks our 45th film and fourth year of A24 wow. films we've reviewed, which I think deserves Holy a round crap. of applause, everyone. Yeah. That's impressive. And a round Go of drinks. Shots, Shots for everyone. For everyone. I like that. Fireball? Maybe. <laughs> it is whiskey. Uh, Come on. If I had it, maybe. Well, usually with these uh, historic films, I like to set the scene and mark some history that happened in the year that the film took place. But today, I don't think I need to do that since the film did such a wonderful job setting us in the time and place. It is 1979 in Santa Barbara, California. And at the start of this film, we are introduced to Dorothea, played by Annette Benning and Jamie, played by Lucas Jade Zuman. Dorothea is a single mother raising Jamie with two tenants in her house, William, played by Billy Crudup, and Abby, played by Greta Gerwig, who is also the acclaimed director of such films as Barbie and Lady Bird. Jamie is friends with a girl named Julie, played by Ellie Fanning, who sneaks into their house and sleeps in his bed every night. Jamie is obviously in love with her, but Julie does not feel the same way about him, yet still sleeps in his bed every night. 
I usually don't like asking general vibes uh, at the start of our discussion, but I feel this film had such a powerful introduction that I can't skate past it. So uh, I will ask a slightly different question here to Kelly. Kelly, what did you think of our writer and director? Uh, what did you think he was trying to say when he started out this film with a car spontaneously bursting into flames? I feel like that's such a way to start your movie that's like immediately, let's get into action. And it's not like an action flick. So by that, I kind of mean that's a turning point in their life, especially when it's framed in the way where Dorothea at the time, I mean, our narrator is changes a lot throughout the movie. At this time, Dorothea is giving us the backstory on everything that Carr's been through and kind of introducing us to the start of our characters. I love this tool that's used, but to go back to kind of that car being on fire, it's like, okay, the things that happened before we saw this movie are all in flames. And what happens from now that we're watching it and forward is the start of something fresh. And it's such like, it really paints, doesn't paint a picture. What am I trying to say? It makes a snapshot in my head. Like I can see that shot right now. If I just think about it, the way that they have the car at like that 45 degree angle and the way that the mom and son are running towards it, it established such like, a presence of craft in the mm-hmm. film immediately. So I found I thought it was a really, really exciting opening and everything that came afterwards, it like it kept up to that bar. So I thought it was a really stunning way to start a movie. I thought it was a brilliant idea. Kevin, your thoughts on the car spontaneously bursting into flames? Uh I certainly enjoyed it just about as much as Kelly, I feel like. Um, what I enjoyed specifically was the reaction of our main characters to the car being on fire. The facial expressions, the the body language of kind of this, oh, well, there went the car. Uh, <laughs> something about the way that they had a quick interaction about describing our main character said something along the lines of that car was beautiful, right? And Jamie, her son, basically is like, what? That was a piece of junk, essentially. It smelled like oil, and it constantly was overheating. Um, and I wrote down that beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And I really thought that that was going to be a major theme, essentially, throughout the entire theme or the rest of the film. And I really kind of knew that that was a literal fire, but also a, a metaphorical fire, essentially, and that a lot of what we were going to see in this movie probably was going to revolve around this idea of uh, combustion, right? This idea of things on fire, um, chaos, uh, sometimes violence. So I I loved it, and it was a cool way to start the the film. (laughs) That was like Jamie's dad's car, right? I I, I think, yeah. So I feel like it might have been the past, literally getting uh, lit on fire and like a new stage of their life beginning. Uh, That's what I think I kind of got from it. But speaking of all these awesome characters here, uh, the film gives great background on each of our characters to the point where it feels like each character gets their own chapter as if it were a book. So my first question is, uh, or my question to Cole here is, out of all these characters, what character did you feel was your spirit character and why? (laughs) Oh boy, spirit character and why? (laughs) Um, No pressure, buddy. Yeah. Jeez Louise. Um, I mean, I really liked all these characters a lot. There's not really one that I would say I like specifically jived with in terms of my life, but I really did like Greta's character. I think it was Allie. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Abby. Abby, Abby. Abby. I really liked her character and just like kind of her whole 
vibe and stuff. And then obviously she's um, was dealing with a lot of the, uh, you know, her the cancer and all that stuff. But I really liked her character. Mm-hmm. Um, I, however, do not want kids or have any desire for that. So um, that's where we kind of diverge a little bit. So maybe I kind of go into the Ella Fanning uh, character a bit, but... Um, I don't know if there's necessarily one that I would call my spirit animal. Julie. Yeah, yeah Julie, but I really did like all the characters yeah. and the way they fleshed them all out, and they all have their unique spin and like different stages of life. But um, I guess I'll do I'll do the I'll just do the the main character, Jamie. I mean, I'm a I was the the only son with three sisters and a mom and a stepmom and surrounded by women a lot, so I had to do, you know heard heard a lot about you know, menstruation and all those things and feminism and all that stuff from them. So maybe I'll just yeah. uh, go that route. Yeah. I feel like I want to be William, but I'm actually Jamie uh, because I'm a little more emotional. And I, uh, I yeah, I had th- two two sisters and a mom growing up. So my house was, there was more women in it than men. And yeah, I definitely... I felt vibes with Jamie, especially my teenage self. Uh, I definitely mm-hmm. think could have been my spirit character. Kelly, how about you? The reason we can even have this conversation is because of how well thought out all these characters are. And mm-hmm. th- I just want to take this opportunity to say, too, I love how they like introduced each other's backstories. Because it just has this like layer of intimacy of them really knowing each other that... like. It made me feel really warm and fuzzy inside. I just loved it. I did not consider this, so I know I want to say Abby because she's like punk rock and super awesome and gets into fights. But I think that in another world, I would be Dorothea. And this is a world where I don't find an Eric. And I would just be living on by my own and being kind of like cool with that. But like also... I think the defining characteristic about her that I saw in myself is that if anyone gets close to defining her or making an assumption about her, she is deeply offended. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I resonate with that so much because as soon as someone tries to like paint any kind of box around me, it like I'm like, well, I, I, I'm not going to be that now. And so with even her getting asked out at work and they're like, well, we kind of thought you were a lesbian. You can see it's, it's her ability to act, um, Annette Benning, where even though she's still smiling at him, you see the light just kind of like harden in her eyes. If when her son gets really close to actually like figuring out something about his mom, she is just like, oh, you think you read a book and now you know about me, huh? Like, <laughs> and she has that um, way of being really playful in the way and like witty in the way that she speaks and i would like to hope that i can kind of do that too um so that's just me gassing myself up taking the opportunity to do so but i liked her character very much for sure uh and mike mills definitely he does an interesting technique here to build each character in this film he uses mostly historical montages of the person and also juxtaposes that to what was like going on in the country uh so, Kevin, what did you think of the use of historical montages to establish our characters? I really enjoyed the entire use of 
not just the montages, but kind of what you guys were all alluding to in earlier parts of the way they established all of the characters from start to finish with the introduction to using those historical montages to establish the character to the way they even finished um, their characters' stories. I thought that there was just a uniqueness that kind of encapsulated what you said, Eric, that it felt like a chapter in a book. Um, And that, to me, is kind of the major strength of this movie, is that it gives you equal parts attention to all the characters involved without having to necessarily give them their unique, distinct stories. They are intertwined within each other. Uh, They do a phenomenal job of writing the dialogue to express a lot of the history and things that you don't necessarily need to see on screen. Uh, And the writing is the major strength of this film, and it comes across very strong in these scenes, especially in the uses of those um, montages where you need a lot of information in a small amount of time. Yeah, definitely. Cole, uh, no, you're a big history fan. What did you think of the use of uh, historical montages in this? Yeah, no, I really really enjoyed it and appreciated it. Um, I think uh, Mike, um, what's his last name? The director slash writer? Mike Mills, yeah. Mike Mills. I think he, um, very, very talented just to, to be able to write kind of all these diverging stories and then integrate some of these like almost flashbacks and then also all this historical information and, and montages and stuff. Very, very well put together. And um, I really liked all the, uh, like you said, all the historical pieces that they throw in to kind of give you some additional context of what's happening you know, around the world with the, you know, the presidential speeches to um, some of like the, the riots or the mm-hmm. wars and things and kind of also give you context to, you know, when these people were born and what they saw in each stages of their life as you're seeing all the various stages of everyone else's life. Uh, I thought it was very cool. It kind of gives you, um, you know, kind of opens people's eyes maybe more to understanding different generations and why certain people have different thoughts and feelings about things because they had to experience, you know, the Vietnam war or the depression or, uh, you know, the, the rise of feminism and and the movements of punk rock and I don't know, stuff like that. I thought it was very cool and very well done. Yeah, I agree. I think it it did a great job of juxtaposing generations and like showing the difference between each one with what they grew up in and why they might be the way they are. And that's, you know, like Dorothea's, uh, parenting is very much like uh what jamie keeps saying she grew up in the great depression (laughs) where everybody raised everyone and that makes sense she has two tenants uh that she literally asks to help raise jamie and to make him become a better man uh that what she her idea of a better man i should Mm. say um and although i feel like there was like great drama in this film it felt very slice of life in my opinion at the same time at at its heart, I feel like it's a coming-of-age film for every character in this movie, mm-hmm. and the tensions lie in each character's inability to get to the next stage of their life. And, uh, Kelly, I'm going to ask you, what were the main conflicts and drama with our two youngest characters, Jamie and Julie? I would like to not answer this question first. <laughs> this is... Okay. So, Cap- yeah, right. I want, I want our ahead. audience to know, too. We watched this yesterday, and I, like... I was like really I found it really a profound movie and for me when I see something that really is profound to me I like got a I got a stew on it I need to meditate for a moment I hadn't considered this kind of conflict so I need to I need a moment to think about it For sure Kevin. All right so we are talking about um our two youngest characters right it's Jamie and Jamie and Julie, Julie. yep <sighs> 
I'm going to be sensitive with this one. The idea of a friend zone is is a reality that is hard to put into words unless you've truly been in a spot where your affection towards someone is spurned away and the only reason they can give you is that they're too good of friends or they want, don't want to ruin the relationship. And once you've kind of felt that in the, the complete hopelessness of I don't understand because we both like each other, but you won't for whatever reason, right? So the, so my point is that this movie did a very good job for me of kind of encapsulating that hopelessness, hopelessness on Jamie's part, but his inability to cut that out of his life, how her as a person is so much more important than the fact that he's not getting any in this particular circumstance. Mm-hmm. The age difference is the age difference is definitely important in this relationship. That's to no- answer your question again. What is a conflict between an, you know a fifteen year old boy who's learning about the world and a seventeen year old girl who's kind of been through that and started seeing some of the other um, things that are on the adult side of things? That is also a conflict. And then of course the idea of having this um, safety net. This idea that not just Jamie, but his household, the his mom, the the tenants, the the communal family is something that she doesn't get at home from her mom, who's more clinical in her diagnosis of everything. And it doesn't have to make sense in Jamie's world. So those are kind of some of the conflicts that I think were really important in those relationships. Yeah. Um, I definitely felt like with Julie's character, you know, her mom was a therapist and did so much. Uh, she did therapy work with all these other uh, girls that were her age, but like she herself was not getting the same kind of love from her mom. And I felt like she had trouble accepting love and, or maybe even wanting love at all in the first place. Jamie on the opposite end, I feel uh, there's a bit of fragile masculinity there. Like when you get quote unquote friend zoned, uh, your ego gets bruised and the fragile masculinity comes out, but at the same time, he's only 15 years old, and he's trying to find himself, and I think Jamie's main conflict might be trying to find himself in this world and where his place is, where he has a single mom, he has two other tenants that live with him, doesn't really know his dad at all, and it's just like kind of a story, his story is him finding where he fits in the world. Do you think that's fair, Kelly? Yeah, I... I'm also thinking about something else. I think it's kind of fair, but I don't think he's like, I don't see toxic masculinity in him. Toxic and fragile, I think, are, can be two different things. Yeah. I think. I, I don't yeah. know that I agree that I see those in him. Okay. Um, But I was kind of thinking about the conflict for both of these characters. And I think for both of them, it is uh, their mothers. Kind of how you talked about how Julie's mom is a therapist. So she's, her relationship with her mom, it seems like she's overanalyzed and made to think about emotions so much to the point where it's kind of suffocating. And then with Jamie, mm-hmm. his problem is that his mom is like passing him off to have other people raise him, thinking that it's going to help. But for him, it makes him feel kind of distant from his mom, who is his person. And then on top of that, you add these childhood friends that have both gone through puberty and now their relationship is changing and maybe they aren't really ready for that whole conversation. So Julie's like, well, just freeze in place and share a bed. <laughs> so it's interesting. Yeah. It's like, it's such a, it's a good age to have Jamie be um, where he's still boyish 
and not quite like a guy, like he's not a man yet. I'm rambling, but I think that that's kind of their conflict. It's their age and it's this mom relationship because that plays huge into the themes of the movie. Yeah. And the reason I think that maybe Jamie is trying to find himself, he's doing things like, I don't know, just these kids are making each other faint. I'm cool with doing that too. (laughs) And that was such a traumatic scene. Uh, I... I was, I guess it was a Monday, I was having some anxiety, and I actually started crying when I saw him faint, uh, and even though I knew he would live, because I've seen this movie before, it, like, something about the anxiety of that scene actually made me cry, and it was, that was a very, like, it was well done in a scary kind of, it was a scary moment, but yeah. Uh, what of- I loved about that scene is his explanation to his mom, how innocent it was, was, you know, everyone else was doing it. That's real, mm-hmm. peer pressure's real mm-hmm. as hell, any kid who's ever dealt yeah. with that can absolutely tell you in a second that peer pressure is as big as it gets so that was just so simple like you wouldn't understand which also kind of goes into the rest of the theme of this whole movie where she definitely doesn't understand really kind of you know what's going on in his world and it's evident in a lot of different places yeah for sure well moving up in the generations uh cole what did you think the main conflicts uh with abby and william were abby i think it started out with her um she definitely is, you know, very um, heavy on the feminist side, like short haircut, dyed her hair, punk rock scene. So she's like kind of feels like the first generation of the, the kind of the punk rock era and uh, subverting expectations for women and trying to find herself and her people. Um, and then it evolves into her obviously um, dealing with her cervical cancer and the possibility of not having children. And again, it's that kind of crossroad that we're seeing in these different generations um, where before, you know, a whole woman's purpose, you know, from a society aspect was to have children. And now she's being told that she might not ever have children, but at the same time, she's, you know, extremely feminist, but it is obviously hurts her and she's trying to deal with kind of that, option of she she you know almost kind of doesn't have a choice in the matter like if you don't want to have kids that's great but if you can't have kids and it's not your choice obviously that's even if you never wanted to have kids it's still something that it will you know affect you and i think um they kind of ran through that with her and um that was kind of what i saw and then for william he um i think he was probably one of my like the I would say the least fleshed out character of the group, but still very well done. Um, he obviously has some type of, um, you know, he kind of dives into his issues with women where he um, almost feels like he has like FOMO where he, he wants like, wants to like love women or be with someone. And then when he does, he realizes that he like, it's, it's kind of the, the, the allure is over and then he doesn't know what to do. And he kind of moves on to the next thing and, he just seems kind of lost or unsure. He just wants to make, seems like he just wants to, I guess, make people happy and get the validation he sort of desires um, and, like, you know, validate that he's, he's good at something or can do something well. So that's kind of what I saw. Mm-hmm. I definitely felt like he was the only one he, like, grew through the hippie generation, like, mm-hmm. Northia might have been a little too uh, old to really partake in that hippie generation. And William, you know, literally 
married a woman that, and they went and lived in a commune yeah. uh, in Northern California, right? And but like at heart, he's a much more simple kind of man. He enjoys his pottery. He enjoys uh, working on things. He's a little more like blue collar, but like he's also tender and can be emotional when he wants to, you know. Uh, but he's not exactly. Like, I think people are flinging a lot of emotions at him, and he doesn't always know what to do or say. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you think that's fair, Kelly? Yeah, I thought William was so sweet um, when they're describing him living in the commune, and it's just, he didn't feel like he was, like, enough for that community. Like, wasn't smart enough, wasn't, like, all these kind of things. Wasn't, he came up really poor and all this kind of stuff. Um, But he just wanted to be with his girlfriend. And it's just like, mm-hmm. he just wants like simple kind of things. And I think that that's so refreshing and pure. And I just wanted to protect him and be like, you don't have to be anything <laughs> for anybody and yeah. you can just be yourself. And that's really, I think the kind of the message for all these characters is you don't have to be anything that anything outside of you is expecting you to be or assumes mm-hmm. you're going to be. Um, you can you can really just be yourself. And I think that that kind of comes out of all of them and um yeah. william i don't know a, a, a sweet tender guy like that is just like oh i just yeah. he just needs mm-hmm. hugs and i really really liked yeah. him yeah and finally uh kevin what did you think the main conflict was with Dor- dorothea and the tensions that arise in her throughout the movie what do you think they were oh boy that's a great question because um obviously dorothea is our main character now jamie is also part of this as well but i do feel like the focus of this film really is on dorothea mostly because she's the driving force in all of these lives the one that brings them together the roof over their head the advice the motherly influence all of these things and she does it with a smile even though there's a lot of pain even though there's a ton that of loss a lot of you know all of the times that jamie calls her out on something and it's so on the point and she just is so flabbergasted because she doesn't know what to say that scene where she he read out of the feminist book to her i must have missed the part ahead of the where she was reading something because all of a sudden the narrator's voice was jamie's and it was just describing who it sounded like was her mother and then I've come to find out, like, it's it's literally written, but not about her. It was just perfect. The It was mm-hmm. intended that way. There was just certain aspects about that. So anyway, to answer your question, I'm also rambling because I thought Dorothea was one of the best characters we've had in one of these films because of just mm-hmm. how much... Well, A, Annette Benning is brilliant. I thought that she just mm-hmm. did a great job of having all the different tensions that you possibly could have. Um, but each you... Each relationship was unique, right? You can tell she was an ex-lover to William, right? She's being a mom not just to Jamie, but um, also why I'm turning, man, I'm ruining my line here. Uh, Julie, Julie, and Abby. and both the girls as well. Yeah. While just trying to understand that she may die someday and leave her son without anything. I felt like uh, Dorothea. She. Because of the generation she grew up in, she is more reserved. She does not want to open up to her son a lot. Uh, And that's kind of a thing the whole movie is that, well, Jamie gets angry at her because she won't let him in a bit more and open up to him a bit more about what she's really thinking all the time. And that's kind of a generational thing, I think. But at the same time, she seems like a pioneering woman. Like she, yeah, she was such a great feminist character, but like a feminist, uh, 
during that time when um, women, you know, were expected to be housewives, you know, in the 50s uh, and also, you know, in the 40s. But she didn't like that. She didn't accept that. And then she's constantly fighting with Abby uh, on her definitions of feminism and her ideas of feminism and this new pioneering movement uh, with the sexual revolution of the 70s. And I love that juxtaposition there. Um, Cole, what did you think about her character, but also just Annette Benning's portrayal of Dorothea? Because I do think that this might be one of the best acting jobs we've seen in an A24 film so far. Yeah, I mean, her character was extremely well-written, extremely, like, fleshed out, and the acting performance behind it, um, like some of you have mentioned, even the scenes where she doesn't even say anything and just the way that you can see kind of the emotion and the, the reactions behind her her eyes and stuff are, are truly amazing. Um, and, like, her character itself I thought was awesome, especially the way with, with all the different generations because she, she truly is, like, you know, she is a feminist, right? But she was a feminist because she went to go get her pilot's license to go fight in the war. She went and got a job and was the very first person to do blueprints at that company. And, and um, you know, she didn't need her husband to, to support her and her son. And um, she did all of these, like, amazing things. And, um, you know, she had a son very late in, in life as well, which was, you know, obviously uh, odd back in the day. Uh, and, you know, she did all of these things. But now she's being like almost kind of confronted with Abby, who is the the newer generation. And, you know, all the things that, you know, she did or pioneered are kind of just the norm now. And now you have a new group of, uh, you know, feminists that are pioneering. But, um, yeah, I loved her character. I typically don't like movies that do a lot of heavy narration because I feel like a lot of times it's not done well. And I and, you know, if I'm watching a movie, I'm watching a movie to see the characters and their reactions and their interactions and stuff. Right. And I also absolutely love Slice of Life films. And I, I like cannot believe that I've never seen or heard of this one. But the the use of the narration in this movie was was very powerful and very strong, definitely added to it and really kind of gave additional emotion and stuff to it and just overall was fantastic I, I really enjoyed her performance yeah agreed so uh my next question will be the soundtrack question so we probably know where this is going can i interrupt uh, derek i yeah sure i wanted to ask you a question um mm -hmm. because this um i was looking into mike mills and this is kind of a, mm -hmm. a personal project that he did and it's about himself and his own mother and I wanted, I was curious from your perspective, because you also have, your mother is, gave birth to you when she was in her 40s. Super, 44, yeah, yep. super rare, just like <laughs> Mike, just like our characters in this movie. And you, you write movies as well. So I was kind of curious, you and Mike probably have a, a similar kind of way of looking about things, being in those, that same kind of like profession. Um, and then yeah. with the same kind of generational gap between your mom, like, I'm just wondering, it's too many similarities for me to not ask, like, how did that kind of like affect you when you're watching this movie? Did it feel more, did it hit you more because of that? Uh, it did and it didn't because I still, I have a dad in my life and, uh, my mom and my dad have been, you know, happily married for, I think nearly 40 years now. 
but my mom was also a pioneering woman. Mm-hmm. She uh, she went on strike at MSU uh, because the journalism school was uh, it was falling apart. It was a complete piece of crap at MSU. And uh, her and a bunch of other people took their typewriters and went to the streets and marched down the streets at MSU to get more equipment and to get a better journalism school. Uh, and they gave in and built a better journalism school, and that's the school you see at MSU today. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I I felt similarities between my mom and um, Annette Benning, but then I also, like, I, I don't think my mom's that as reserved as her, so <laughs> I couldn't just cast my mom into that role and see my mom there um, in that way. I, I think it... There's just a, some slight differences where I couldn't do that, but I do think like him being a creative and me being a creative, uh, maybe that could be a a mark of growing up with a good female role model in in our lives. Hmm. You know, <laughs> yeah. But uh, so yeah. All right. Next question. Soundtrack question. <laughs> uh, we have a large array of music in this film. And maybe one of my favorite soundtracks of any A24 film that we've watched. And why I think the music is so powerful in this film is because I think it is establishing the difference in generation generations of our characters. We have everything from Louis Armstrong to Black Flag in here. So, Kevin, what did you think of the use of music in here and the use of it to show the generational differences of our characters? I am so glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> let me first state uh, I am a big Talking Heads fan. So the mm. fact that this film got to feature so much great talking heads and using it as kind of this idea of pop versus punk was brilliant to me. Um, talking heads makes me happy in general. Listening to them just uplifts my soul a little bit. So that was a pretty cool piece for me right away and allowed me to kind of really enjoy the rest of this as well. The jazz aspect, you touched on it a little bit with, um, you know, the Louis Armstrong. We had some Duke Ellington. There was a great rendition of In a Sentimental Mood in this. Um, it's, I highly encourage you again to watch this just for the soundtrack alone. But then we also, like you mentioned, get this black flag, the germs, some of this, uh, you know, the raincoats, some of this really, at the time, completely out of left field music that, you know, there's a line in here where Annette Benning's character, you know, or Dorothea is like, they sound bad and they know it, right? <laughs> so it was kind of like the idea that you break down some of what this music meant to a generation from inside the generation and you also see what someone on the outside looking in um, may think about it. I really liked the scenes where Dorothea goes to the clubs and tries to assimilate with the younger crowd. Her wearing her floral patterned mom top going into the, you know, the, you know, the crowd and just trying to be part of the punk. It was just it was great. Uh, it was cinematography was wonderful in that um, time using the idea of um, Jamie going to a show as his um, reaching out moment is kind of I want to be uh, a rebellious teen or, you know, be a little bit older. I thought that was a, an awesome uh, idea as well. And. It just altogether was a great soundtrack put together by a great writer that made the music work for his film. Uh, oftentimes we get music that's just kind of in the background, but that's not the case at all. And uh, it was well done for sure. Yeah. Uh, Abby's quote, I just want to say it because I really like this description of punk. Yes. Um, it's, it's like they've got this feeling and they don't have any skill and they don't want skill because it's really interesting what happens when your passion is bigger than the tools you have to deal with it. It creates this energy that's raw. Isn't it great? 
Uh, Kelly, what did you think of that line? I loved that line so much. Yeah. I'm like, how can anyone hear that and not immediately understand like why people love that genre? That was so mm-hmm. well written and well delivered. Mm-hmm. And Cole, yeah, like I also want to focus here on the generational differences and how they use music to you know differentiate the generations. And also just like the style of music, like that quote right there kind of represents what maybe that 70s punk generation was all about. And then jazz more represents uh, Dorothea's generation. Do you think that's fair? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they like, I mean, Mike Mills, he used so many different tools that you'll, that you, you know, usually you see like one or two of these things in a film, but he does so many different things so well from the like multiple backgrounds and storylines of fleshed out characters to the narration of characters to like the music choices for these characters like everything else everything is like is is just extremely well thought out and extremely well executed to the point where you know you it 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 clearly shows all these these lines but then the lines start blending and as you know different generations try and understand the the other ones around them and uh i did read you know, I'm not the biggest uh, music guy in the group. I like music, but I'm not like, you know, Kevin or Eric and, and Kelly probably are all better, more music heads than me. But I was reading about it because I was interested about, you know, all the music in this thing. And uh, Mike Mills apparently kind of when he had all the actors and everyone uh, laid out and, and picked for all their roles, he, he had them all kind of find songs or you know, pick music that they think their character would listen to and like and bring it to set. And they would basically have essentially like dance parties with the, with the sounds and musics that mm. they saw <laughs> and liked based off their characters. And then they started using them in the film. And I think that was kind of a, a unique spin and kind of a, again, kind of showed some of his uh, way he operates as a director too. That was pretty, pretty mm-hmm. good. And it, it obviously worked well because I enjoyed it and, came across very well on film too mm-hmm. i saw that sure. too i watched a vice um interview with mike mills and mm. where he was talking about what you just said cole where every character has a specific song and then they have kind of like a genre that he used to help them get into character and help inspire them and he says it more eloquently than i'm about to slaughter it but it was along the lines of like music just it transcends just like words and it like can put a feeling into you and it can help you embody then a character. And I, I thought what a brilliant idea, like what a brilliant idea from a director. I'm surprised I've never heard of this happening before. And it's just as somebody who's like music just deeply influences me as well. That's such a great way to just help flesh out your characters further. And it clearly worked because all these characters are really fleshed out. Yeah, definitely. Um, And the writing was just so good in this film, too, to the point that it was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay. Surprise! Yeah. (laughs) Come on. I'm just going to say some of my uh, favorite lines here uh, from Dorothea. Having your heart broken is a tremendous way to learn about the world, and uh, wondering if you're happy is a tremendous shortcut to being depressed. There's some, like, really just, like, great, like, wisdom lines in here. And I guess I'll go to Kevin to the uh, for this. 
what was your favorite comedic line or scene in the film? And maybe it doesn't have to be comedic, but there were so, uh, certainly a lot of great uh, comedic lines and scenes in this film. So I guess I'll just ask, what was your favorite line or scene in this film? Uh, I'm going to pull a Kelly and defer to my co-hosts because I honestly <laughs> don't know. I think I kind of already did it a little bit with my uh, reference to the, the punk rock and just kind of that whole thing. But let me think on a little bit more because yeah. I bet you I can come up with yeah. a better one. Kelly, do you got got like a I, big? I actually line got or this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. That that question about thinking, what, wondering whether or not you're happy is the shortcut to being depressed. I thought that was so poignant, and that I think when mm-hmm. Eric and I were watching that, I like clapped, and I was like, "Amen, that's so good." Um, but mm-hmm. another scene, and that really stood out to me with really strong writing, and especially because a man wrote this so (laughs) props to you mike is when Mm -hmm. julie and jamie are talking about why does she have sex with these guys if she regrets it half the time (laughs) (laughs) when she describes when she says well she's never had an orgasm from having sex either but then gives all of the reasons why she still does it and even if she regrets it half the time her response of just like he goes why well why do you still do it and she says because half the time i don't and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so well, like I already used this phrase, well-written, well-delivered. The way that Elle Fanning plays this character and she does this like coy little smile as she's kind of describing the intimacy that she can get. And you can like see her as she's describing it. Like it's so alive. It's so like real. So I thought that that part was really, really brilliant and um, very endearing and... I loved that. Yeah, I thought it was a great idea. You don't necessarily have to have it be um, a line necessarily about regretting sex, just the idea of regret in general. Like, half the time I do, but half the time I don't, and that can mean a lot of things. Um, The other cool line that I took away, and I remember writing this down, is when um, we were talking uh, about why can't I remember Greta Gerwig's character's name? This is Abby. Abby's life, and she's describing her time in New York. And she mm. just basically says, I was so cocky, so angry, so happy. And I went, that's a unique combination. But I can see it. I, it. It didn't throw me off. I was like, I I feel exactly where you come from, like how that can be a thing. Uh, so I just thought that was really unique and kind of felt uh, in that moment exactly how it encompassed her character. Did she yeah. say something like New York City was so disgusting? I loved it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That was awesome. And that kind of like encapsulates that time in New York City where where punk rock really started getting big. It was and it was because of the grit and grime of New York City that punk rock uh grew out of that with the Velvet Underground and grew out of Detroit with uh the the Stooges, Iggy Pop and MC5. So, I I feel that to my to my heart. Um but so now we uh at the start we kind of talked about how each character, they have these kind of very real-life tensions and conflicts they're all dealing with. And I think we really first uh, see our characters resolve their tensions and conflicts with uh, Jamie and Julie. When they go to the hotel room, they run away, go up the coast, go to a hotel room, and Jamie gets lost for a little bit. Um, Cole, how do you think Jamie and Julie really ended up resolving the tensions and conflicts within them uh, towards the end of the film there? Yeah, I um I guess I don't know. I wouldn't say that they ever truly resolved 
their like conflict um i think um which is a part of life that you know nothing not everything gets resolved and sometimes things just mm-hmm. you know you get older people move move away move apart and and those things kind of mm-hmm. fall to the wayside so i don't know if it necessarily got resolved but um i mean i think the way that they portrayed it um and that whole scene um and just their whole interactions throughout the film were, were very very like real and raw in terms of like you know kids growing up like that are you know childhood friends and then now they're going through puberty and um you know one of them is is obviously uh you know the quote-unquote friend zone and all that stuff and and trying to navigate that while still Mm -hmm. keeping relationships and then you know eventually you get to a point where you um kind of come to the conclusion that it's never going to happen and you you know either continue to that relationship that you've had for a long time or, or it dissolves and falls away. But, um, I think they did a really, really good job with it. And then, um, you know, Ella Fanning did a phenomenal job acting and and the portrayal of that and kind of her explanation Mm -hmm. throughout this whole entire film. I didn't realize who, like, I I didn't look up anything about the film when I watched it. So the whole entire time I'm thinking it's someone had written this, from their you know perspective right which it which it was but i was thinking it was from like the woman's perspective from like ella fanny's perspective of like you know a woman who had gone through a lot of things and maybe had lost a very close friend of hers because she didn't feel that you know about them in a romantic way and she like was able to explain it in this film so eloquently and then i come to find out it's written by mike mills which is you know extremely impressive but um I don't know. It was just very well done. And, and again, I think, I don't know if they necessarily resolved it, but you can't resolve everything in life and they just continue on and see where it goes. I guess that I think that's a better question. Uh, Kelly, do you think that any of these characters actually resolve any of their conflicts or tension in here? Does anyone in the world ever fully resolve their conflicts and tension? I mean, we got rid of the Nazis in World War II. <laughs> but did we? Around. I think that Come there's on. still some around. <laughs> they're still around, I guess, yeah. I think that uh, this is a movie that doesn't like uh, tie everything up with a little bow in the end. What's kind of cool yeah. is that we do know the future of what happens to all of our characters through these kind mm-hmm. of like, these like, not narration. I mean, yes, narration, but also it's like a diary entry that can see the future. Um, and I love that kind of way that they just described uh, through to the ending that um, through that method. But I don't know. Like, I don't need them to resolve their conflicts and tensions in order for me to think that it was a really good movie. And spoiler alert, I think that this is a really good movie. Um, yeah. I, I makes them more real and that they're they're messy and that there's going to be more problems. And we know that there's going to be more problems and not everyone gets a happy ending, but happy endings turn bad and bad turns good and that's kind of how Dorothea explains it to Abby as well when she gets that really hard news and she's like this is going to be really bad for a while then it'll get better Mm -hmm. and then it's going to get worse again I shouldn't have told you that part (laughs) I thought that that was so real and I feel like I've had that conversation with girlfriends of mine too and it's not necessarily something that only girls can say to each other but it's so real um so I think that that follows through for all these characters to the end too. It's just ups and downs, just like all of us in the world. Yeah, Kevin, do you think this kind of you know none of the tensions or conflicts were resolved in here? And 
I'm, I'm kind of getting that we think that this movie dropped us into these characters' lives for just this period of time. Obviously, that we do flashbacks and fast-forwards, but it's focused on this period of time, and they just kind of let us live with it as a slice-of-life film. Do you think that is fair? Absolutely. I ref- uh, referenced it earlier in one of my answers how critical I thought it was to bow-tie these um, stories with a conclusion, how we got to live into their future a little bit and see kind of what those characters um, achieve in their lives. Uh, I thought it was incredibly poignant to see Abby having uh, a family to be able to to bring children to term, even though that she was told that she couldn't. I thought that's mm-hmm. a very important part in her character development. Um, and same for Dorothea's character with our ending, um, to have her find love again, to have a partner who she can confide and trust and who loves her to give her the gift of you know flight during her birthday. I thought that was just a brilliant, brilliant way to do it. Uh, I don't think the movie would have been powerful for me if we didn't get that, to be honest with you, where we didn't see resolution on camera, but we got just enough for it to feel good that you could wrap up each story without thinking about it too much. Um, And I thought that was just brilliantly done. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm going to go like, uh, so a lot of films, uh, high school films usually will fast forward into the future uh, and kind of tell us like, oh, this is what happened with each of our characters. But that, that can be very cliche if it's done in a wrong way. But I think they do that in this film in a very non-cliche way, and it actually feels like a pretty good resolution for each character. Cole, do you agree that uh, this wasn't done in a cliche way and they actually used this technique uh, as an ending like pretty well? Yeah, yeah. I, like, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, a lot of times, um, you know, a lot of people don't like when they like movies kind of end with a cliffhanger or like not giving them the full full answer and I typically like when they do that because it um sometimes is more impactful but for this film I thought it was very well done to the point where it added a lot to it like I feel like a lot of films that do it like you know you talked about like the high school films are just kind of you know it's like you know oh well heck after the high school musical troy baker goes off to whatever (laughs) right and no one really cares and it doesn't really add anything to the story but this one i feel like it it really did add stuff and kind of gave you um i don't know it kind of made me feel good to like know even though i only knew these characters for two hours i felt like i really knew them and was like a part of their almost life and it was like kind of nice to see how they've continued to grow and and uh, progress throughout their life and you know it also one of those things where they talk about how they kind of all went off on their own and you know they didn't really keep in touch too much after that and you know that's a sad fact in life that we deal with where you know there's people that are, are a part of your life at very pivotal like important parts and you know, then they just go on and they continue living their life and you continue living yours and and that's it. That's the way it goes, you know, like and it's not always clean and cut and dry and stuff. It's messy and it's life. And um, I don't know. I thought it was very well done and I really liked the ending and just kind of the pseudo resolution we got. Um, and I also thought it was very realistic. Yeah. Each one of their like kind of endings of how they ended it wasn't it wasn't kind of like a fantasy or like the perfect mm-hmm. 
you know, fairy tale ending. It was all more of kind of like a realistic of what you kind of saw for the future for each of these characters. So I liked it a lot. Yeah. And yeah, like I, th- Kelly discussed this, or Kelly and I discussed this a bit at the ending that the ending was kind of Dorothea finally opening up to Jamie a bit more. And it's, you know, Jamie hitching on Dorothea's car with a skateboard riding through a small California highway, even though she makes a joke about like how, how uh, she might never ever fall in love again. She makes a joke about falling in love with Humphrey Bogart <laughs> in a future life. Um, but like, that's just kind of her way of, you know, talking and her sense of humor. And Jamie says, I thought that this was just the beginning of a new relationship with her where she'd really tell me stuff. But maybe it was never really like that again. Maybe that was it. Kelly, what do you... We, we kind of discussed this quote because I think we kind of misheard it. Um, do you think that was Jamie saying she never really opened up to me like that again? And maybe Jamie just accepted kind of uh, her not fully opening up to him all the time? I suppose. But it's yeah. it's drenched in maybes. Yeah, true. So it's, it's, it's hard... It's, I think it's so open ended mm-hmm. for me and i think that maybe he just learns to speak her language a little bit better without her having to exactly tell him things you know what i mean um yeah. maybe he know he starts to know how his mom speaks a little bit more because she definitely is branching over to like learn about what he's into uh, maybe he begins to understand her like layers of wit and humor because she she does mm. she really likes to use that and um, that's kind of the crutch that she uses when things get too close to the heart and that's mm. just going to be the case with some people even with their most intimate loved ones so maybe that's how I kind of take that not that they necessarily won't ever be like that open and close together again but they just find a different way to navigate it. For sure, Cole. Yeah, the the way I um I kind of took that quote was, um, kind of similar to what Kelly was saying is, you know, there's the old saying that you know people never change, right? Like, she might want to be more open with her son, and she might be a little bit, but it's never going to be necessarily as open as he would like or get the exact answers that he would like so it's i think it's kind of that gray area where she's trying and she wants to but she will never be as open as he wants and then you know he also needs to like kelly was saying learn her way of communicating and understand her boundaries and stuff and know that you know you might not get you know the answers or that exact relationship that you want and hope for and sometimes you know you're going to get the best thing that you can get from her kind of thing and and you either need to accept that or or move on kind of thing and that's the way i kind of took it was because um, no one no one can just like flip a switch and be like you know what i'm gonna be completely open and honest now and everything's gonna be great it's you know it's not a <laughs> yeah. fantasy fairy tale right it's real life like people people are people and they're set in their ways to a certain extent. And, you know, I believe people can change and, and mold and they're, you know, you, you like to think we grow as people and become better, but in the core, there's still that, uh, you know, everyone's got their thing. And so that's kind of the way I took it where they grow, they grew a little bit, but it's never going to be a complete, you know, commitment to it kind of thing. Yeah. 
I with the ending, I definitely think of that quote that Abby said, uh, which I'm paraphrasing here, that life is just never how you plan it to be. And kind of the grand majority of us go through our lives in this humdrum way. And maybe showing art at their local art studio uh, when we had grand aspirations to be a big artist, or maybe moving to Sedona and starting a pottery studio, or maybe falling in love uh, in New York City and moving to France, um, but never, you know, making anything with uh, your career side of your life, you know? And I think we see in Dorothea's case that we find little beautiful things in life to make us happy. And that was kind of that shot at the end of her flying over Santa Barbara, finally flying a plane. It's like she never got to get to the Air Force, right? But she was she well, she was so happy just flying that plane like I finally did it. You know, you find these little things in life that make you happy and um they may not always be the grand aspirations that we have, but there are little moments throughout life that really make you appreciative for where life has taken you. Uh, Kevin, do you think that's a fair assessment of the ending there? Absolutely. I think it. the ending was in, intentionalized, I think, for all of us to kind of look at all of the characters and imagine kind of how life treated them in general, right? And what their aspirations, mm-hmm. how they were, you know, rewarded or not rewarded or how their story was told through whether or not they maybe achieved those aspirations. In Abby's case, it was a family. In William's case, it was always the pottery and you know, in Northia's case, it was flying, um, and we see it on and on. And I think that it was, you know, also the idea that life is what you make of it, right? It's the idea that each of us have an opportunity to, you know, Cole alluded to it. I think that you have somebody in our life, but they may not be there anymore. But it's kind of what you gain from that person, the stories that you're told, and what you're allowed to do with your future because of it. So, kudos to them on that. For sure. Well, I mean, I think it's time to get to our ratings of our final film of the 2016 year of A24. Uh, Cole, did you have one more thing? Yeah, I just wanted to say, um, can we all agree that uh, William's pottery kind of sucked, though? Like, what was going on with his bowls? I was trying to figure that out. Yeah. (laughs) It was his passion, man. It was his passion. Hey, man. It's the passion. It's those kind of bowls where I'm like, I don't know their usefulness, but... I kind of liked what about it that I could like see this like I feel like he has like these like big hands that are used to like fix cars and a house and stuff big and he hands. like he like has like his like <laughs> finger hands. indents all over the bowl and I'm like that's kind of cool so I can't completely shit on it I never would know what I would do with pottery or ceramics like that but I like the influence of these really large thumbs <laughs> <laughs> large thumbs well, uh, one thing we didn't touch on too much that uh, I guess I'll touch on it now, mostly because I thought it was cool. Some of the cinematography choices that they had with um, some of the the tracing of the cars, as we're seeing some of the um, mm, yeah. uh, road trip scenes, some of the the lighting effects were brilliant. There was some um, time lapse in the club that I thought was also very cool, even from that opening scene with the fire. I just thought there was some real cool attention to detail in this film from a cinematography standpoint as well. I definitely Agreed. thought the first time they did that with the car, because it's Jamie and his friends going out to the punk show, I thought it meant that he had done acid. Same. Yeah, same. That's fair. And, yeah, and then I went, sure. oh, is everyone who's driving a car tripping? Like, <laughs> but... Yeah, yeah. It's just a visual effect. But So, now I think it's time for our ratings. Uh, this is the final film of the 2016 year of A24. Uh, Cole, 
Your final rating of the 2016 year of A24, what did you think of 20th Century Woman? Um, I really liked it. Uh, it checked off a lot of good boxes for me. Um, you know, I'm a big slice of life guy. Love those films. Um, I really love the dialogue and interactions between all these characters. I think the actors that portrayed all of them um, did a phenomenal job. Um, the writing was exceptional throughout this film. Um, which really, really brought everything together and all the interconnecting stories and the connections to history and the flashbacks and the narration. And like he used all these tools that I, you know, talked about that you might see one or two in a film. Like you might see a film that has some narration that deals with historical stuff, or you have a film that does a lot of flashbacks and. Then, you know, film that has interconnected storylines and multiple, you know, almost like feeling like you have multiple main characters. And this one did, you know, all of those things and uh, did it very, very well. Um, you know, this was definitely a film that I did not feel like it took too long. Um, it did it. It didn't. Um, you know, I never got bored of it. And even though it was a two hour movie and. You know, that extra 30 minutes, I think, was still very well utilized and, 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 you know, was good in my book. And overall, really like this movie. Um, very impressed with Mike Mills and everyone attached to this. Can't believe I had never heard of this movie. And I had, uh, you know, pretty low expectations coming into it, thinking it was going to be just another one of those, you know, A24 films like The Laggies or Barely Lethal or something where I'm just like, yeah, this is going to not be... Mm great it's gonna yeah. be some kind of um i don't know weird comedy that i'll watch but um i loved it i think everyone should watch it i think it's very very good i think if everyone watched it you'd get a better appreciation for understanding you know generational differences you know women empowerment feminism understanding um kind of the common man and and just life in general. I think it's a phenomenal film. And I'm giving this a solid A24. Woohoo! Uh, so I guess I will go next year since I talked a little less than all of you. But uh, maybe I didn't. I don't know. <laughs> Either way. Um, I There's so many parts I enjoy about this film. I, I've actually seen this film before. And I wasn't as okay with the ending before. And how it doesn't exactly resolve things for me and tie it up into a bow because I feel like I used to really like that about films like this that are more slice of life films that are more um, heartwarming films I used to like it when it was just tied up into a bow and maybe it's just my age and as I've gotten older that I'm more okay with things not being tied up into a bow because maybe I've lived a bit more life and I've realized that not everything gets to be tied up into a neat little bow so uh, that it made me like happier with the ending this time that I watched it and the cast was phenomenal. Like Annette Benning, definitely this was one of the best roles I've seen uh, in an A24 film so far. Com and now comparing it, probably watching it five years after I first watched it and comparing it to all these other A24 films I've seen. It's, she does such a phenomenal job in here. The writing, um, it it's so many like little quips in here, little lines. That whole menstruation scene that we started out with, that was fucking hilarious. I... I, I couldn't stop laughing at that. And, you know, okay, I gave The Witch an A. Um, and this film doesn't exactly have the methodical directing that The Witch does. The kind of, like, Robert Eggers puts his own stamp on The Witch with his directing. 
but I think this film puts a stamp on it with Mike Mills's writing. I think that you can tell his style as a writer in every film he does, and I've seen a few other films, like Beginnings I've seen, and that's his mark on this film. And I'm not going to give it an A+, uh, to put it up there with Moonlight and Ex Machina is like probably my favorite A20, uh, my favorite two A24 films I've seen in the last four years. But I'm definitely going to put it up there with The Witch on an equal level and give it an A, just like Cole, because I think acting, writing, just the decision to drop us into this generation, juxtapose all the different generations and against each other, and just really go into the music of uh, the time and the times before. And it, it gave me, like, just a very American feeling in a way. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, it was just, it was kind of like America, 1979. Okay, I, I feel it. I, I've lived it. Uh, and I, I, know what it's go- I know what's going on there. So, anyway, A24 for me. Uh, next up, we will go with Kevin. All right. So, a lot of the films that we call our A24 classics, a lot of the ones that get the most A24 vibes are some of these more mysterious movies, some of these more, um, I guess, out of left field type. We talked about The Witch and Ex Machina, some of these fantastical films. And that's what has been, for the most part, has defined what feels like an A24 movie for a lot of folks, not just us, but just kind of in general when talking about this movie production. I also found this movie feeling incredibly A24 for me as I was watching the whole thing, even without some of those major fantastical aspects. I thought that some of the choices that they did from a styling aspect aspect made this feel indie art house. But at the same time, the idea that you approached this movie the way that they did made it indie art house. Cole alluded to it perfectly in his review of taking all of these different types of movie making skills and putting them all into one um, pile and seeing what comes out on the other side. It feels pretty indie, right? It's the idea that you're kind of taking all of these unfinished stories and putting us in there for the small two hours that we get, pulling us out on the other side and saying, well, what did you think? it really did feel very A24 for me. And I think that's probably why I enjoyed it so much. Going into it, I watched the trailer um, with my wife, and we were kind of like, all right, well, now we kind of see what we're getting ourselves into, but we weren't really sure. Um, But coming out of the other side, we both were immediately um, impressed. We both said that we were not expecting it to be that good, and we were super satisfied with kind of the way we felt while finishing that movie. Um, so if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it yet, you probably should go do it. Uh, I'm recommending it for all my friends and family. It touched on the major themes that a movie should make you feel. Um, Kelly talks about that with her movies. Um, if you, if it makes you feel it's done a good job, it certainly do that for me. There was emotion, there was highs, there was lows. There was, you know, a lot of different parts that go into watching a film like this. And it is really lucky on our part that we get to talk about it. I think is pretty cool. This entire review has been us kind of fawning over this movie, but for good reason. And it shared a lot of really cool themes with, with the viewer. And we're lucky to go on that journey. And that's why we watch movies. That's why we, we sit down and take the time to invest in it. And uh, this movie delivered on all parts. The The actors and actresses all did a phenomenal job. The writing was clearly uh, lauded with awards. The soundtrack was some of the best we've heard. And uh, I'm excited to kind of watch it again after I've given a little more time to kind of sit uh, in the A24 library and just kind of also see how the rest of the titles fall around it. And um, 
I'm not going to depart from my coworkers or my co-hosts on this one. Um, A24 for me as well. I know I'm not uh, too too divergent on this one, but it deserves an A, so it's definitely going to get it. For sure. Kelly, round us out. What did you think of the last film of the 2016 year of A24? All right, haters of 20, 20th century woman. Um, I'm glad that you all stayed along for this long. It's time for me to go through all of the negatives and downfalls of this film. Thanks for listening, and let's get start. Just kidding. I'm also <laughs> going to rant and rave about how much I think that this movie was really phenomenal. Um, I read a lot. Uh, not a lot. I was reading some of what people were saying in the A24 film group on Facebook. Shout out. Somebody had said, like, this is, like, their comfort film that they come back to, like, over and over again. Someone else called it Dark Barbie. And (laughs) both of these, I was like, okay, this is going to be really interesting. I read both of that before I started uh, watching this movie, so I was afraid it would poison the well. But my thought of what this was going to be, I'm sure we're all familiar with the phrase, like, pinkwashing, which is kind of using feminism as, like, a marketing ploy. And I was afraid that this movie was going to be one of those. Um, And I am so relieved that it completely subverted my expectations, which is extremely ironic because I think that's the main theme of this movie, um, which I really, really appreciated. So here's my list. The unique storytelling of this movie. um, I think we kind of touched on that with the diary entries, as I call them. Um, And everybody, every character is a narrator. Um, I think that people either are going to like that or they don't. For me and this movie, I think it worked phenomenally, um, and it was a really good vehicle to move us through all the acts of the movie. Something that you guys know I like personally is really dialogue-heavy movies. This one was saturated in dialogue the entire time, so I loved it, and I stayed really engaged the whole time. Um, The camera work throughout this movie, I thought all of the framed shots were really thoughtful. The use of color was gorgeous. We have a lot of like sunsetty palettes that we work with, um, which just kind of adds to the overall feeling of just comfort for me. And the camera is almost constantly moving, which keeps me really engaged as well. So props to both of those. And it makes sense for the kind of story we're telling. The soundtrack, as we've said, was really um, like broad spanning, immersive, um, and the just the usefulness of music is what I wrote down was, I think, just masterfully used. And I think that um, what we already touched on with Mike inspiring his characters through music, it is so genuine. So I think that that came across really well, too. I'll try to talk faster, so I'll get through the rest of my list. <laughs> go, go ahead, take your time. Um, like Kevin said, and I touch on every single movie, is how did I care about these characters um, in this movie? Yes, I deeply felt for these characters and this is a weird comparison but the last time i felt for characters this much with this amount of time was breakfast club which i Hmm. know i wasn't on our 80s movie discussion but when i had first watched that movie all those characters like reached in and grabbed my heart this movie is similar where I will rewatch this movie just like I rewatch Breakfast Club because I just want to see I want to see them again. I want to hear them again. They feel really real to me and I am invested in them and the way that they speak with each other is so dignified and tender and it's like just something that I I want the world to be more like that. So, I will rewatch this movie for that reason. And what 
did I walk away with is my other thing that I say for any kind of film analysis. I'm like, okay, so what's like the big, the big thing that I'm going to take from this. And it's this, for me, what I'm taking from it on this first watch. And like I said, I'm going to watch again. And I think that there's so much depth. I'm going to keep taking things away. These bridges between generations is really strong. And I think just a genuine curiosity and respect goes so far. And it's so nice and positive to see um and this just kind of acceptance of differences and even when a character messes up this quickness to forgive it's really really sweet the usefulness not usefulness the power of the feminist movement on men specifically and how it was able to kind of transform a generation of men which I don't think everyone always thinks about when it comes to this kind of wave of feminism, but that's the goal of the movement is equality for the sexes and changing that kind of idea of gender for everybody, not men and women and any other gender in between. And I think that that's really important as we move on into today and we keep changing that as we go. But for this kind of, this this wave, this punk wave, feminism, and for Jamie, our character, how did feminism frame him as a person and i think it's so good so are you saying i am kenuff (laughs) yeah i guess so (laughs) and that's kenuff from me as well but it's it's tender gentle thoughtful movie um and i will return to it i will recommend it to people i really really liked it which i didn't expect and i think then I'm going to shock myself here and actually go for the A plus 24. I think you only gave Ex Machina an A plus 24 before, right? Did you? I have no I idea. Be- I, believe I don't so. compare them to each other. I just You're go with what I feel. Put all of our... Oh, you gave Moonlight A plus also. So, okay. yeah, this is your... Yeah. It tracks. Well, cool, cool. Uh, so some programming notes next week. We will have the Mount Rushmore draft of uh, A24 films between 2013 to 2016. Kind of a look back at our last four years of A24 film watching. And then two weeks from now, we will have the 2016 A24 Oscars will where we will knight the best picture of the 2016 year of A24. The best actor, best director, best actress, best supporting actor, and best supporting actress. And we will have our friend the Martini Shot on this episode. Woo-hoo. Brandon Johnston, who Woo-hoo. runs an awesome YouTube channel where he makes martinis and reviews films. So, all that being said, thank you for listening. Please rate and subscribe us. And uh, we're so happy that you have come along uh, on this journey with us on A24 Film Watching. And we are very happy to continue it going with these next few weeks into the 2017 year of 824. Have a good night, everybody. Bye. Bye. Menstruation. Menstruation. (laughs) (laughs) Well done, Kelly. Had to have it.